Hello and welcome to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. This is episode three of the new Playable Futures mini-series, which is hosted and happening right here on the GI podcast feed. Quickly, I'm Will Freeman. I'm a freelance game journalist and long-time GI contributor. And today, on this episode, I'm going to be speaking to a trio of inspiring industry figures about the future of independent development. Particularly kind of the larger indie studio model and trends around the indie developer-publisher space and different approaches there. So get ready for a sincerely fascinating chat with Endreams, Playtonic and Nosebleed Interactive, three really great studios. The Playable Futures project gathers insights from industry veterans and leaders, creative visionaries and kind of anyone shaking up what games can be. Why? We want to peer into the future of gaming, kind of understanding these people's visions of where the medium and industry will go next. Just to note, there's already been a run of Playable Futures written articles published over on GI. And now we're a podcast series. You can check out those articles on GI and check out our previous two episodes for insights from the United Nations and Resolution Games. And quickly, before we dive in, just sincere thanks to Project Partners Yuki and Diva Agency for working with us to make the Playable Futures podcast possible. So, in this episode, we spoke to Endream CEO Patrick O'Lunich, Platonics Biz Dev Manager Stephanie Dara, and Nosebleed Interactive Managing Director Andreas Dre Fernigal. This one, being honest, was arranged somewhat on the fly during Gamescom, but kind of in the rush to join us, our guests brought heaps of energy and enthusiasm, and there's definitely some authentic Gamescom background noise to evoke a sense of being in those chaotic halls once more. Honestly, it really is a riveting conversation, so you don't need to hear any more from me. Let's go. Thank you so much to all of you for joining us in the hubbub of Gamescom for this uh, episode of the Playable Futures podcast. Um, I think we might as well dive straight into the conversation. We're going to talk about kind of independent and mid-sized studios and kind of the, the future of those things. But first of all, how's Gamescom been going for you? Let's start with you, Steph. What's been exciting or interesting here? Or is it just overwhelming and exhausting? Wow, well, my first Gamescom. So I got lost in my first meeting yesterday morning, which was fabulous. But no, it's been really great to connect and meet with people that we've been working with for years now. And due to the pandemic, we've never met them before. So I'm on a relationship mission quest this Excellent. year which is fabulous lots of lovely people yeah. industries follow them it's great yeah. Patrick, your first ever games conference, right? No, I'm being sarcastic. Uh, certainly not, yeah. Do you know, it's great to be back again. Though. It's lovely to be at a show and get, you get that energy and that buzz from meeting people and seeing, you know, gamers playing games as well that you really miss so much. So it's been good, really good. Um, I've learned not to schedule lots of meetings in the hall and then at the Dorrit Hotel and then at the Blue Hotel and then back here and then over there because it's really hot outside. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but it's been a brilliant show. Meetings have been amazing. VR, which is the space really is just going nuts at the moment. So it's exciting and, and lots and lots of good meetings. Lovely. Andre, you're here fresh off a game launch, right? So you're oh, feeling really relaxed. I'm, and like... I'm, 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 yeah, we've, we've booked very few meetings. And yeah, I have loads of press to do and live streams and podcasts as it happens. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm regurgitating the same bits of information with enthusiasm over and over again with terrible hangovers because that's my Gamescom right. every year right apart okay. from the one year where I was stone cold sober and did the most biz dev and work I've ever done <laughs> so I think there's a correlation there but no it's brilliant it's really cool to be back and it feels like 
there's been like a crackle of energy and people are like really really ready for it you know it's always the biggest one anyway and it's because it's public facing as well you can sort of feel it in the air yeah. I think so to get into the top you know you guys it's quite fitting you come from actually very different studios and setups and sizes but none of you are a kind of you know garage indie or a huge global conglomerate type of thing one of the really interesting and exciting things for me at games as games as a medium grows it's not just growing in size but like breadth the diversity of types of game types of audience i feel that's only going to continue like is that a challenge or an opportunity for studios like yours how patrick i'm going to go to you first for no particular reason I think it's an opportunity um and we're seeing so for example patrick the old order would be a publisher and a developer and never will, never will they mix and you know you're, you're either one or the other and, and the publishers have all the money and the power and developers you know know your place and I think the world has changed so much now and so you know some developers publishing themselves some are publishing on some platforms we've got co-publishing deals you know and even in our space in VR there's a real mix of, of you know small devs people funding some people being funded half funded working together there's there's a massive variety of deals and types of deals and every deal is different and I think that's changed so much over the last few years it used to be certainly when I started you know everything was a little bit more prescribed you know you had your role and you knew what you did whereas now people can self-publish people can release themselves people can you know there's, there's so many new opportunities which is really exciting because it means that companies can break into new ground can do new stuff can you know try things differently do you yeah I, uh, Steph how do you see that kind of challenging opportunity for Platonic like yeah. It's, a, it's a big old in meat market out there in industry, right? And that's an opportunity. But yeah, I'd just be interested in thoughts. Absolutely. And I think we were founded in 2015 and the game space is already so different from then. If you look at the Switch store in particular, loads of titles on there and discoverability can be really hard to, to get. So for us, it's definitely, you know, keeping us on our toes. We're having to constantly talk to people. I think we're lucky in this industry that we share knowledge and we lift each other up. So for us, you know, relationships are really important and we're always learning from other people in the development space, the publishing space, partners. Um, and we've kind of become one of those developers that stepped into publishing with yeah. those people. And it was quite a natural fit for us. We're developing uh, multiple titles now. Um, and it's really nice having the talent in-house and having the different perspectives and also people from different backgrounds as well. Like, uh, there was a lovely article recently about vampire survivors and there's an economist working with the team did a most incredible analysis of YouTubers that was really insightful and helped them bring the game to market. Um, and yeah, so there's definitely challenges. And for us, we're really keen on getting people in of different ages and backgrounds and demographics. And we just think that creatively really helps us stay up to date with the challenges and the fast paced industry we're in. Yeah. And how do you see the future? I guess you guys maybe take a slightly more conventional independent studio structure. Is that, if that's unfair? Yeah, no, 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 no. How do you see your forward journey when there are these dev pub and other model? And you know, you're, I'm sure you're not by tomorrow morning going to become a publisher. Or anything. <laughs> like, how do you think of your studio model in the future? So we, we are obviously we've just launched the game and it's hopefully touch words going to be successful it certainly seems to be you know people seem to be liking it uh, and that's kind of come through a, a fairly traditional publishing model with recoups and that sort of stuff but the marketplace well first off there are a lot more people playing games so there are a lot more people playing different types of games which is great because you know as a developer you want to make fun stuff that's different but there's also a lot more like way more marketplaces and way more 
ways of selling games. So, you know, you've got the streaming services, that's obviously here to stay, it's in its infancy, but it's here to stay. You've got VR as a platform with different market styles and, and ways of selling the games. You've got the Game Passes and the PS Pluses of the world, mm. and you've got traditional, you know, digital and, and retail, and all, none of that stuff is going away. Um, so it's a massive opportunity, but as a small studio, you need to be able to if you're savvy, I'm not, I just surround myself with clever people. Um, you need to be able uh, to make the most of those opportunities. And so, you know, in some ways we are, we are really small. So we kind of had to, um, you know, work with the publisher to get that visibility. But there are so many sort of services out there as well these days. So, you know, PR agencies, like agents doing deals. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a huge industry. Obviously we know that. I mean, talking to a room full of people from loads of different backgrounds. But the, the fact is, there are opportunities. We might eventually self-publish something. I'm, a, I'm a, an optimistic pessimist, so I'm sort of, uh, I, go, I go the safe route and I, go, I know what my strengths are and I know what our weaknesses are and we try and plug those with the talent that, that we can or with, with outside help. But I can see us potentially sort of moving into that space bit by bit, you know, with, with small gambles, let's say. Um, and each time we do a new game as well, we're, we're learning from the people that we're around because, you know, yeah. these, these relationships are, are two-way, you know. Why is it that that developer-publisher model is... I, I think it's... Would, would we say it's here to stay? It's going to increase? And why do we think it's kind of... Or, or why have you gone for it in the case of you guys? Um, I think, yeah, I, look, first of all, I would say that unless you've got a really good publishing team you really understand it there's nothing wrong with being a brilliant developer and finding a great publisher because it's really hard getting visibility and very very hard some platforms are easier than others but the days of making a great game and just sticking it out there because the game's brilliant it's going to sell that's incredibly hard you know you need to be featured you need marketing you need influencers you need PR there's so much to it to do it well so, but I think there are opportunities for the right companies and you know I think there's a few of us here to to kind of you understand your product better than anybody else is going to do. So if you can get that publishing team in place, if you can figure out the right way to get to market, you're always going to push your game a bit harder. You're always going to understand your game better than anybody else does. So yeah, I think I think you're just going to see it. What's lovely is there's a mix. There's no right and wrong. There are lots of developer publishers. There are lots of publishers. There are lots of developers. There are lots of people that dabble. And, and I think that's a great thing. And you can publish in certain territories, right, as well. You know, you may get a US publisher just to focus on that or a retail publisher just to do books and products. There's, there's so many different opportunities, and that makes it exciting. And you can do, you can do one of one and one of the other. Yeah, if you're a multi-game studio, yeah. you, can, you can go with a publisher for one game yeah. and maybe something that's a little more yeah, niche yes. or that you, know, that you really have the, the capacity yeah. to, to do the marketing for, then you can do that yourself. And I'm thinking of publishers that are slightly reframing themselves as labels, as that whole games label inspired by the record label and studios embracing other types of work. Like, it's a bit of an open question, but how might you, do you see other ways, not, not speaking only about your own studio at all, but we might see other new models emerge going forward. Is that something anyone kind of predicts or has any ideas about? Steph, you're almost nodding, so I'm going to point the microphone at you. Yeah, I think you you almost get these people, and I think this is how our industry's been built as a whole, really. You have conversations, usually in the pub or somewhere similar, and you've all got this idea that you connect on over a pint, and you're like, okay, yeah, let's actually, let's make a business of this. And 
I think this is naturally how a lot of developers like us have become publishers because we've been through the process ourselves. We've developed a game from start to finish. We've done ports ourselves. We've had publishing partners and we know kind of the next steps after development like QA and localization. And for us, as predominantly a development studio, there's about 55 of us at Platonic and 50 at development focus right. now. There's five publishing. We know the pitfalls we've fallen in ourselves. We know that when you set a milestone, it's never linear. You're going to work on milestone three when you should be on milestone one. And, you know, with us, that, that's okay. And I think it's, you know, we've been in, in those shoes and we know people who are now trying to be in those shoes. And for us, you know, it, it fits the model of the industry as a whole. It's, it's helping people. It's, you know, trying to make us all a better space. And I think this is how these businesses pop up in the first place is that you, you get this idea and, and you run with it and then you connect with people who are needing that support and then suddenly you're a consultant. Oh, right, publisher. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like there's the future for studios like yours holds the potential for all kinds of new models to emerge. Yeah, I think so. I think things are going to continue to change rapidly. You know, the move, the, the world's moving, obviously, very digital. We're moving to streaming, as you know, as mentioned in a big way. And also the publishing deals are, I think, much... Publishers are much kinder and much friendlier to developers now than they ever were. The you know the bad old days where a developer would work, spend ages making a you know, game demo, and then publisher would come and take the IP away, you know, fund the development, be as tight as possible, try and spend all that money, and then keep all of the revenue, you know, marketing costs and things. And the poor old dev doesn't see very much. You know, did you used to be like that? And now, actually, developers keep their own IPs largely, and they get uh, you know. We offer if a developers put money in, then they get a percentage of revenue from day one to try and recoup that. And it's, we, I think the deals are much fairer, which is great. And that those kind of models will continue to evolve as power shifts around and as, as, as you know platforms change. I think um, I think the other thing as well is, you know, in the olden days, let's say, developers were very often reliant on funding from a publisher, or rather for funding, and a lot of times that would come from a publisher. Obviously investors have got wind of it and know that they can back some pretty good horses and also that there are various funds that have been set up by you know conglomerates you know the sort of Kowloons of the world and the coffee stain funds and so on so that that sort of opportunity is growing and growing and it's changing as well there's so many different you know we've had meetings with lots of different people there are so many different sort of variations of that thing that you don't necessarily have to look towards publishing to get to be able to afford to make your games Obviously, if you need help with certain things that you know you can't necessarily outsource, then they might be the perfect fit for you. So with with Wired, our publisher, that you know it's been really good with them because they kind of we've worked with them in the past as well. But they understood our kind of needs and like this sort of just after launch, you know, a developer is a bit hand to mouth because you're not seeing any revenues coming in and that sort of stuff. And they've got stuff in place for that and I think that's that's a huge change I mean we've, we've been going for 10 years and that's a massive massive change from what we've had in the past I think one of the things we've raised actually quite interestingly is one area that I think there's still a lot of room for progression is prototype funding there's a huge lack oh, of that and I think that and I completely understand that because Platonic are quite young as a publisher and proof of concept is still really great for us to be a bit risk averse and you know that you've got epic games grants and things like that now that are really starting to help encourage these smaller developers to get to that stage where they can then start these negotiations with publishers but I think there's definitely more that needs to be done there to foster that. Sounds like there's a maturity of funding underway and much more of that needed right the various ways you can make money are there 
other trends that any of your teams are particularly aware of? I'm not going to call VR a trend in front of you, <laughs> Patrick, of course. And it's not, it's not, right? We've got out the hype cycle, it's here. But, you know, it's easy to talk about concepts like the metaverse is probably the hype version and the reality or you know we've talked about publishing and funding any other things you're as companies kind of thinking about as part of your future path i think ai is really interesting so there's a, there's a few, tool, few tools have you seen the uh, the amazing art ai packages where mm. you can get access to them and you can type in some random yeah, phrase yeah. you know adding some bear in a uh, military costume in the 1980s on an oil painting and it will just do it for you in yeah. three seconds and it'll look amazing and this is AI and there, I think there are some packages in the game space now in development allowing you to do that allowing you to go into and say right I want to have a realistic table there and I want to have a backdrop of San Diego and, it, and it's just bringing this stuff in using AI and I think that's really interesting because if that continues to evolve you're going to be able to do prototyping and you know, level design and that kind of stuff incredibly quickly using the power of AI rather than having to craft everything yourself. And that's just in its infancy, the AI integration, but I think it's going to be very, very uh, dramatic the changes it brings. It's really interesting that because I guess creativity is such part of making games. What? Well, I said something really profound there, didn't I? Creativity is part of making games and there's that yeah. notion of are you handing that creativity over or are you simply having your ability augmented? Like, I'd be interested, I'm going to turn this one to you, Dre. Like, yeah, how do you feel actually, about those dastardly robots getting involved? Well, I bow before my robot overlords any day of the week. No, I think actually what's going to happen with that, obviously it's going to carry on and it's going to get better and faster and more accessible to people. With that access comes a way, way an explosion of diversity where people that, that aren't from like that technical background that we're all from, and that aren't maybe don't normally have access to the sort of education sides of things, um, can start letting their creativity generate. You know, they okay, yeah, you can you can you can say, oh, well, it's going to be mean lots of artists are out of work. But actually, what it really means is that we're going to see some really weird, cool, and completely different sort of experiences and, and games and and content that we just never have seen. And we, we probably won't see without them. yeah and that you know someone who writes for a living who's never never wants to admit that they'd really love to make a game the idea of being able to write <laughs> a game in the way like Patrick confirmed and dreams Paddington a Bear game there no but like, <laughs> that notion of writing yeah. games and yeah it's a you know I'm amazed by the dev tools that my four and a half year old son can make a little platform game on an iPhone but it takes such a new place to step how do you feel about those kind of technical trends and yeah I mean I, I love them I, I think it's fantastic and it's kind of reminded me recently of a trip to Spain I took with my family where my four-year-old son was speaking better Spanish than me because they do that in nursery now apparently and it's the same with thing with programming tools where we've recently been looking for schools and they have these incredible little ladybirds that kids are now programming and it's it's so incredible to foster it at such a young age and it makes it more accessible to people. I think one of my first programming languages was HTML and JavaScript. And that's fantastic because you see in real time the things that you're creating and it encourages you to continue because you get that reward. Um, so I, I love the idea of it and, and making it accessible. I think you're right. It's going to be diverse. It's going to encourage yeah. people to not necessarily have to go to university to be a part of the industry. Yeah, that's profoundly exciting. Uh, we've got, um, yeah, I guess because like you mentioned the Economist example, and I've done some really cool interviews. Oh, we've got a circus choreographer in or someone that designs supermarket layouts. And they're really interesting versions of what part of a games team could be. But we could be in a position where 
diversity in many, many ways could be part of it, right? The future's fairly positive for studios. Let's finish on that one. How Are you feeling positive about the future for studios like yours? Well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> we just launched the game, so I yeah, better that, be positive. Well, Patrick, very quick, I know we've got to end soon. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I mean, what's lovely is in the games industry, and I've been here, I'm feeling like a veteran now. I used to feel like I was really young, but now I've been here ages. Um, it changes, it's constantly evolving, it's constantly changing, there's always something new, and that's so exciting because it means new companies come out, company, you know, bigger companies break up, there's always new ideas. That makes me more excited than anything, and I can't see that trend stopping. If anything, it's getting, as we talked about, getting more diverse and more different kinds of things are possible. So I'm super excited about the future. You know, For us, it's VR, but there's going to be AR, there's going to be all sorts of other amazing things coming down the line that people will jump onto, and that keeps things interesting, it keeps shaking things up as well. And very lastly, Steph, you feel similarly, I mean, obviously there's challenges and things to take seriously, but you feel optimistic? And yeah, absolutely. I'm meeting incredible hubs, particularly with people fresh out of university at the moment. The Scottish game scene is incredibly made up of a lot of studios of graduates who've made their own companies because there wasn't a scene up there when they graduated. And I'm seeing great talent, a lot of really interesting ideas from people who actually play a lot more games than I think a lot of us manage to play <laughs> nowadays. Um, and, and it's great. And I think there's room for all of us in it, which is the best part. Brilliant. Well, that's a really lovely, you know, I don't think we're being idealists. There's genuine reasons to be optimistic. They're a perfect note. So, Steph, Patrick, Dre, thanks for joining me amongst the chaos of uh, Gamescom <laughs> and, um, yeah, joining us on the Playable Features podcast. And um, we'll call that it. Thank you. And there we have it. As you know, because you just listened to it, what an amazing conversation, some great ideas, kind of an exciting, interesting vision of where indie development and game making in the industry in general are going. So thanks again to Steph. Thanks to Patrick. Thanks to Dre. Um, Of course, once again, thanks to GI for having us, to Yuki and Diva Agency for working with the team to put this together. Thanks to you for listening and just check back with us in a couple of weeks on the GI podcast feed for the next episode of the Playable Futures podcast. Thanks so much and goodbye.